Okay. Okay, we are live. It's good to see everyone. Um, oh yeah, we're already getting good quotes. That's great. There's some great quotes in this in this episode. So um, thanks for your patience. Thanks for being willing to reschedule. Um, I ended up, I could have done it yesterday and I didn't know that at the time. Um, and if you've seen Instagram, I was in a car accident Monday night. And so yesterday was just spent with tow trucks and car repairs and medical repairs and insurance, medical repairs, medical insurance, all that stuff. Anyway, who cares? Um, all that matters is that I'm okay. Everything's okay. The car is not okay, but um, people are more important than stuff. So I didn't know if I could make it at 3.30. And um, anyway, so thanks for your patience and rescheduling. So we will be having episode eight tomorrow at 3.30. So if you hadn't heard, you came here today to discuss episode eight, you'll need to come back tomorrow to discuss episode eight, um, which is another great episode. So today we are going to look at episode seven. Thanks for joining us. And I've heard from several people that they took notes on episode seven. So I'm really looking forward to um, hearing all the uh, feedback and all the um, insights and any questions you might have. So get your questions ready, get your insights ready, and we are going to jump in starting with prayer. So let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so episode seven, um, it's interesting, a couple episodes ago, I said that Dallas, the writer, director, creator of The Chosen, um, his favorite episode was four. And one of my friends was like, I thought his favorite episode was seven. So I think his favorite episode changes as quickly as mine does. But I did hear an interview with him that said his la the last 10 minutes of this episode are his favorite 10 minutes of the entire show. And I might agree with him. I would say the last like three minutes. Um, I love the call of Matthew. So we'll get into that. But I think the call of Matthew, I've seen just the call of Matthew like 20 times because you can actually, there's a, um, a YouTube clip of just the call of Matthew and I've used it in a talk I've given. And it's just a powerful, powerful, powerful scene. Interestingly enough, even if people haven't seen The Chosen, and um, don't even have the character development, that scene is still really powerful. And I found that when I used it in a talk, people were really blown away from that by that scene. And those of us who have now journeyed with Matthew and know Matthew, I think even more so, I hope you were as touched by that scene as I was. So let's start with the beginning of the episode which is a flashback. So remember I said at the beginning that I love how the first the first scenes are flashbacks or Old Testament references, and then it turned out not to be the case really. But this is the perfect example of an episode where we have this opening scene and it is as if it was the first reading at mass and our gospel is going to be Nicodemus. Um, and so it's really, really perfect how it opens with the bronze serpent. So um, so I don't know if you remember the story, but the people are grumbling and it's nice. They give kind of a, a backstory. You know, 
they kind of throw you right into the tent with Moses and Joshua, but um, it's kind of explained too later, but people are grumbling against the manna, right? They're grumbling that they're stuck in the desert, um, that they're just, you know, it's funny, like you'd rather be, it's like they'd rather be slaves because they were well-fed. Um, and so they grumbled, God gave them manna, now they're grumbling against the manna. And so as punishment, um, to the people, he sends fiery serpents um, and seraph serpents are biting everybody and they're dying. Um, again, this is one of those scenes where you might read it in scripture and be like, oh, and people are dying of snake bites. But when we see it in The Chosen, it's really dramatic. Like lots of people are dying and this is really scary. Right. So, again, it's one of those scenes where when you when you see it, I think it makes a bigger impact than when we read it, possibly, because it's a story we're kind of familiar with. Um, one thing I really liked was the way they pointed out Joshua's reluctance because this was a pagan symbol. Um, that it, to me is very realistic, right? They've gone through the, the sin of the golden calf, right? They've gone through this incident where they were so punished, really, really punished because of the idolatry of the golden calf that he's like, wait a minute, why are we doing this again? This seems to be a repeat of that, right? We're making this pagan symbol out of bronze um, and the one reason I like this imagery and I like Joshua voicing this concern is because the bronze serpent is a good way to speak about Catholics use of statues when statues seem to contradict the Mosaic law. Right. So the Mosaic laws be, be this, the Mosaic law, it, depending on what Ten Commandments you read, because there are two different um, there are two different lists of Ten Commandments. Um, it says you shall not make a graven image. And so a lot of our non-Catholic brothers and sisters will say, well, you have graven images all over the place, right? There's all graven images everywhere. And when you walk into a church, the whole church is full of graven images. So I actually had a three minute theology episode on this um, that we did in the National Basilica um, of Our Lady of Immaculate Conception in DC. That's tons of graven images, right? But what we can point to is, well, the bronze serpent was commanded by God. And to the people's eyes, it might be like, wait a minute, how is this different than the golden calf? But we have to remember in the Old Testament, multiple times people, God commanded people to make statues. We see it in the Ark of the Covenant as well. It's not the statue that's idolatry. It's the misuse. It's the worship of the statue. Right. And so Moses is like, Joshua, I know this is confusing, but we're not going to worship this bronze serpent. We're obedient to God. And this bronze serpent is a reminder to us of God, which is the way Catholics see statues, right? Um, yes, Christine. So Christine is pointing out, right? They, they have the 10 commandments. A lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters will follow that uh, ordering. And so that'll be one of their commandments. And so all the other commandments get shifted down and they have to combine um, wives and cattle when it comes to the ninth and 10th, 10th commandment. Um, we follow the ordering of the commandments by Augustine who said, thou shalt not have gods before me, um, and combine what the Protestants often put as one and two. So, so we have to understand that it's the the idolatry of the statue that's the problem, not the making of the statue. And so, um, I think Joshua's confusion is very realistic. I also liked Moses saying that um, those who, and just to kind of go backwards, I think it's actually a really Catholic approach in this dialogue that might be surprising from a non-Catholic. So I was very, I was very edified by the way they treated that. Um, let's see what's, we have some things. 
Um, Jackie says, I still find it hard to look at the serpent and God forgives. That doesn't sit well with me. It does seem odd, right? That, um, that they, all they have to do is look at the serpent and they're forgiven their sin. Um, but it's a beautiful foreshadowing of the cross, right? Um, it doesn't, it probably shouldn't sit well with us either that all we have to do is be open to God's mercy and forgiveness, be repentant of our sin and the cross saves us. Um, and that might sound a little Protestant to some people, but that's what we believe, right? Um, I mean, we do what the Lord asks. We go to confession. We're repentant of our sins. But the bronze serpent was the image of their sin in a sense, right? So the bronze serpent indicated this is why you're in trouble. This is your sin. And now you're looking at the, your sin and you're saved, which is a beautiful foreshadowing of the cross, right? We're looking at our sin. This is what our sin has done. And that's what saves us. Um, it's really, really hard to wrap our minds around. So Gregory Ginter, our youngest fan and youngest participant, has a great segue into what I was going to say next, right? He said, I like how Moses says it's an act of faith. I love that as well, too, right? Like Moses says, this is an act of faith, not reason. Now, the very first thing I thought was, oh, this is anti-Catholic, right? My, my, my anti-Catholic meter went up and I was like, because we believe in faith and reason and there's nothing wrong with reason and there's nothing wrong with philosophy and there's nothing wrong. Um, but what Moses is saying is nothing anti-Catholic, right? That this is an act of faith because this doesn't make sense to us, right? It doesn't make sense in our mind what's happening. It doesn't seem to make sense that we look at this bronze serpent and we're healed, but it's not an act of reason. I feel like I'm yelling at, at the computer. I'm sorry. Um, it's not an act of reason. It doesn't make sense to us. And that's an important lesson sometimes for us that sometimes things don't make sense, but the Lord asks them anyway. A lot of stuff he does, he asks, it makes a lot of sense, right? And there's nothing wrong with reason. We believe in faith and reason. But this is a lesson that Nicodemus is going to have to grapple with, right? This is exactly what's going to be hard for Nicodemus is that sometimes we have to make that act of faith and we might not understand everything. So I love that they highlighted this. This is, leads us into the Nicodemus um, conundrum, right? The Nicodemus quandary. This doesn't make sense, but I have to accept it because the Lord has asked me to accept it, right? Um Absolutely, Christina, right? God sometimes asks us to do crazy stuff. And we've been asked, I, yes, absolutely. I was asked recently, right? Like, I really felt like it was the Lord saying, take this leap of faith and leave a job that you actually really love, leave a job that you're doing good work in, leave a job that has a pension and quit and walk away and take this leap of faith, right? Which is a really great time for me to segue to my Patreon that's at the, the link that's at the top of the screen if you want to help me in this crazy mission, right? Um, one more thing about the bronze serpent that I think is important is I also liked when Moses said, after today, those who remain sick are those who choose to remain sick. And I think that's a good reminder to us that there are many people who choose to remain sick because they're attached to their sin. Their sin's hard to give up. Maybe they're afraid to ask for healing they're afraid to leave behind old lives. They're afraid of what Jesus is going to ask them to do. Um, and so there are many people in the world, and maybe you yourself, you are remaining sick because you're afraid. You're afraid to walk, to leave behind another life. You're afraid to leave behind the sins that have 
given you comfort in a worldly sense. Um, you're afraid to kind of make that leap of faith. And so you remain sick because sometimes remaining sick is more comfortable than being healed. Um, we see this, I think, really beautifully in season two, episode four. For those of you who have seen episode four in season two, it's sometimes easier to lay on our mat and not be healed by the Lord. Um, sometimes that's a little bit more comfortable, even in our sickness. So let's jump from the bronze serpent opening scene into this character of Nicodemus, who plays such an important role um, in this. This episode really belongs to Nicodemus and Matthew. So we're going to talk about a few other things, but I really want to talk about Nicodemus. Um, I thought it was really beautiful that, I don't know that you caught this. This was one of those things that I didn't catch until I watched it the seventh time. When they, they go to Nicodemus, one of the things they show is an hourglass, an hourglass running. Time's running out for Nicodemus. Um, his wife is laying it on thick that she wants to go back to Jerusalem. Nicodemus still has questions in his words. He has research, right? And so time's running out and Nicodemus needs these answers. He, he desires these answers. It's interesting to watch episode seven and episode eight um, in the in the kind of lens of comparing Nico and Zahara, uh, Nicodemus's wife, and Simon and Eden. I really love these two episodes looking at though that the juxtaposition of the couples. Um, I think really they are they are those mere images, and we'll talk about that more tomorrow. But if you haven't watched episode eight or you want to rewatch it, um, really keep that in mind. Look at Nico and Zahara and Simon and Eden as kind of foils of each other, and it's very very fascinating. So we'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow. Quintus comes, gives us the great line, which I always thought this was a funny line. And then I was talking to, or, you know, virtually talking to my cousin who says they quote this in their family a lot. Um, Quintus walks in and Nico says, I trust all is well. And Quintus says, why would you trust that? Uh, fantastic line. There's some really really great lines in this series. So we have lovely Quintus, um, who's quickly, I think, becoming one of my favorite characters. And it's going to be really sad if he like, I don't know, scourges Jesus or something, because I'm getting a really soft spot in my heart for Quintus. Um, so we have this visit by Quintus. And uh, one of the things I, I want to highlight, number one, did you notice Nicodemus does not obey Quintus, who says, when you meet with Christ, when you meet with this street preacher, um, I want to know about it, right? So we have this growing, growing, growing discontent with the Romans and Jesus, the Pharisees and Jesus. Um, and I love, so number one, Nicodemus obviously doesn't obey Quintus. Um, but I love that image when they're talking of the flora about how, you know, we need to stamp out the weeds, right? We need to stop these weeds before they spread. And I love when Nicodemus has the image of some flora spread their seeds when trampled. That's a great, great image, right? Um, are you willing to make Jesus a martyr? Um, obviously, Jesus, is, Jesus and his death are much more than a martyrdom, but it's a great image, I think. Um, you know, there's also that, and we, we was just talking about this with somebody this weekend. There's that great um, quote by Gamaliel in Acts of the Apostles when they're trying to stamp out this new way. And he says, you know, if it's of God, you're not going to be able to stamp it out. And if it isn't of God, it'll stamp out itself. Um, and I feel like Nicodemus kind of has the same approach in a sense, right? Um, not that uh, Quintus probably even believes in God, 
if he does, he believes in Roman gods, but there's that same image, right? Um, but some flora spread their seed when trampled. Um, also hearkening kind of to that same image of the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, right? That that's how Christianity is going to spread is that the floor is going to be trampled and it's the seed is going to be spread. So it's a great, great image. Christina, absolutely. She says, that's what happened, right? That is what happened. Um, Jackie, I love that insight that the spirit may work in a way that's a mystery and we need to be prepared. Um, I wrote a blog post. So I write for integratedcatholiclife.org. I'm their Friday writer. And um, several weeks ago, maybe even several months ago at this point, I wrote an article about our God being a God of surprises. Um, if anybody looks back at it, they can see that I was in the process of leaving my job, which would surprise a lot of people, including myself. And um, But we have to be open to those surprises, right? We have to be open. And that kind of reminds me of what Nic Nicodemus said in episode six, right? Are we still learn willing to learn? Are we still willing? Are we, have we put God in a box or are we willing to see what God is able, is, is willing to do? He said it much better than that. Okay. Um, so before we talk about Nicodemus's conversion, or I shouldn't say conversion, um, but the poignant scene that um, perhaps the famous, most famous um, verse in the entire Gospels. Um, I want to talk about Simon quickly, and then we'll go back to Nicodemus, and then we'll end with Matthew. Um, so have your questions ready, or have your comments ready, and any any notes you've taken that you want to add. But just to quickly talk about Simon, um, I love when Simon tells Eden, "I don't want our burdens to be his." What a poignant, what a poignant statement on Simon's part, because Jesus does want exactly that right? Jesus wants our burdens to be his. Our burdens are his. He carries our burdens, right? Um, it's that beautiful, um, that beautiful suffering servant, right? For, uh, in Isaiah, right? Um, it was our wounds that he bore, right? It was our burdens that he carried. Um, by his stripes, we are healed. So, so Simon says, I don't want our burdens to be his, but Jesus wants our burdens to be his. And so it's a good reminder for us, right? It's a good reminder for us, don't carry those burdens alone, don't carry those burdens alone. Give them to Christ. And while he might not remove them, he will help you carry them. Um, you know, a lot of non-Catholics ask why we have Jesus on the cross, right? Why do we depict Jesus on the cross when he's been raised? And so like this crucifix is, you know, abhorrent because he's been raised from the cross. Um, he's been raised from the dead. And so why do we continue to depict him as suffering? And I like to point out that we all have to carry a cross. I'd rather carry one with Jesus, then carry a, an empty cross, right? I don't want to carry a cross alone, but if Jesus is on the cross, then his arms around me when I'm carrying mine. Um, just a little side note. I love Jesus cooking with Eden. Wasn't that fantastic? Did you catch that? When we go to Eden and Simon's house, they're getting ready for Jesus to meet Nicodemus, right? Um, I love the fact that Jesus is cooking with Eden. Um, Honestly, I love, I love, 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 love Eden. We're going to get even more tomorrow. So stay tuned to episode eight. Um, but I love that, that he is like chopping fish or something. Um, I want to make dinner with Jesus. <sighs> so, okay, let's get into John three. So I would love to hear in the comments what you thought of um, at first, Christina, at first I thought, why is Jesus prepping the fish? Yeah, he was just helping out, you know? Yeah, he loves to cook fish. He makes it for breakfast. Ah. Yes. Um, well, also, yeah, I was going to ruin something from next from tomorrow's episode, but I'm not going to. So I would love to hear what you thought of this scene of Nicodemus and Jesus meeting on the roof. Um, 
you know, there are parts that I really loved. There were other parts that I was like, okay, not my favorite. Um, I think it's a really dramatic, I mean, it, there's obviously a lot of pressure to depict um, this scene, you know, for, for many, especially for non-Catholics, John 3.16 is the verse, right? I mean, it's all of our verses, but I think, um, you know, it's the verse you hold up at, at football games, right? So I think, I'm sure there was a lot of pressure to depict this scene. It's not how I pictured it, you know, it's not how I, I always pictured Nicodemus coming to Jesus, maybe to their camp, um, in the dark, out of fear. And Dallas chose to have Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night, more so to protect Jesus, which is interesting. Um, Nicodemus doesn't, doesn't seem to do it so much to protect himself. Um, although that could have been part of it too. Um, but he, he definitely tells Mary, like, I'll meet him anywhere. Notice when he told Mary that I'll meet him anywhere, even in a tomb, which is interesting, which would have made them both unclean. Nicodemus is just desperate to meet Jesus. Um, but I would, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts of what you thought of that portrayal. Again, there were things I really loved. Um, there were times where I was like, I'm really confused too. Like, why are we talking about wind? And so it's interesting to kind of realize, like, if I was Nicodemus, I would be like, what are you talking about? But much of it was straight from scripture, not quoted, you know, verbatim, but a lot of it was really straight from there, from John 3. Um, Christina, that's a good point. If Nicodemus would have been caught without telling Quintus, he would have been in deep trouble. So, so Nicodemus is maybe meeting with Jesus at night to, you know, avoid Quintus, avoid that, avoid the other Pharisees. Um, did you catch John writing it down? That was something for some reason I didn't catch the first time. I must've been really distracted when I watched it the first time, but, um, you, so Andrew and John are kind of, you know, protecting, you know, keeping watch. And, uh, did you catch John being like, shh, and like writing it down, which I, I really thought was lovely. Um, there's a lot of jokes like that in this season and next with John and Matthew. Did that happen? I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe. Um, I doubt, I don't know. It's hard to imagine. Um, favorite funny moment, John shushing Andrew so he could listen to the conversation. Yeah. So that was, it was really, that was really cute. Um, like we only have this conversation in John's gospel. And so there are a lot of hat tips to John and or Matthew in this season and next when, um, you know, when we're going to see those evangelists writing these stories in their own gospels. Um, so again, if you have any other comments or thoughts about the scene, I would love to hear from you all. Um, I'm kind of sad. I know not everybody's able to watch live. Um, and we actually have a lot of people that watch after because, you know, some people are actually, you know, like at work right now. Um, I've heard that my uncle Mark is watching. So shout out to my uncle Mark, but he has to watch them late. So um, that's kind of sad because I would love to hear insights from him, what he's thought about all of this as well. Um, yes. Yeah, so John does seem to know what was said in a private conversation. So maybe he was there. Um, and I do think either he was there or, um, you know, that's why I've kind of always pictured all the apostles around this fire and Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the night. Uh, but that's just me, you know, this is the way Dallas has pictured it. Um, and so I just don't know whether he's like dictating, you know, whether he's writing down word for words, probably not. Um, so one more thing kind of about Nicodemus is before we, before we move on to Matthew to end, um, I love that Nicodemus was called. Um, I've never thought about that, but I love that in, you know, kind of that, you know, again, Lexio Divina, we don't know if this is the way it happened, but 
Dallas was getting this in prayer or has, you know, kind of let his imagination run, which I love. And I love that Nicodemus was called and Jesus, Jesus says, right. I know that this is going to be hard, right. Cause Nicodemus hesitates and, and Jesus lists all the reasons why this call is going to be a hard one. Um, and yet Nicodemus is still called. He says like, you know, yeah, you, you have to give up who you are. Nicodemus says like, you know, can I give up everything I am? And Jesus said, yeah. I mean, it's not like he was like, you're right. It's going to be too hard for you. You're in a different situation than these other guys. He doesn't say that. He's like, yeah, it will be. You'll give up a lot. You'll give up who you are in a sense. He doesn't back down from that. He, but he continues to call, right? He says to Nicodemus, I hope you'll join us in two days. Not, yeah, you're right. You have some good, you have some good reasons not to do this. So just forget it. He continues to call. And I think, you know, Nicodemus is so worried about um, giving up who he is. And I think of how many people make those radical decisions. Um, we think, first of all, probably of priests and religious. And, but all of us, in a sense, we're giving up who we are, but not really. We're becoming like once we give up, once we're willing to give up all those earthly attachments, all the sins, all the wounds, all the stuff that's that's keeping us from following Jesus. And we follow him, whether that's in the radical religious life and priesthood or whether that's in marriage. I mean, talk about giving up who you are, but actually then gaining who you are because you were created for something much greater than yourself. So you see this with religious. Religious sisters don't become less of who they are, but they become more of who they are. And I can testify that to that. I have a sister who's a sister. And never once have I thought, wow, she's less of herself now. She's actually become more of herself in the religious life. And so I think that's if you're really following a call of Christ and you give up, you're willing to give up everything. Again, we see this in marriage. Um if you're not willing to give up everything in marriage, you're probably not entering into a holy marriage that's going to be valid in the eyes of the church. I mean, we're just saying you're not going to succeed um, because you have to be willing to give up everything. But then God gives you who you really are and you become far more who you are than you ever dreamed possible. So is Nicodemus, you know, Nick, we see here in episode seven, Nicodemus is called but is he willing to answer? Can he give up who he is? I'm going to read some of your quotes because I think are some of your insights. Christina says, I was struck by the juxtaposition between Nicodemus, who believed but not could not bring himself to follow, and Matthew, who did not totally understand slash believe, but followed without hesitation. I was actually going to talk about that tomorrow a little bit, but um, but absolutely. I think seeing Nicodemus in juxtaposition to all of them, right, to Simon, to Mary, to Matthew, that's a really, really good uh, meditation on this series and on this call. You know, think about what, what Nicodemus was giving up. Nicodemus was giving up possibly his family, right? He could be disowned by his family. He was giving up wealth. He was giving up standing and power. He was giving up comfort. Um, essentially he was giving up being Nicodemus in a sense. Um, and he believed, he seems to completely believe when he goes down on his knees, which indicates worship, he refers, he quotes the Psalms. I believe it's Psalm two where he kisses the sun. He seems to have great understanding of what's happening, but is he willing to give up all those things? 
Matthew has some of the same things that he has to give up. Wealth, power, protection by the Roman government. Um, the thing Matthew doesn't have to give up is family and community, which we'll talk about in a minute. But Matthew is willing to walk away from all that and doesn't completely understand why, right? He has only witnessed a few miracles. He's never had an in-deep theological conversation with Jesus. He doesn't even really understand his own Jewish faith, right? He hasn't been a practicing Jew for a while. And yet he's willing to give that up. Even He's willing to give everything up to follow this street preacher that he's only seen, you know, do impossible, miraculous things. So Christina, you're absolutely right. I love that juxtaposition and it's a great fruit of meditation. Am I Nicodemus or am I Matthew, right? Am I Nicodemus or am I Simon? Am I Nicodemus or am I Mary? Um, and there's probably a little bit of all those things, all those people in us at various times. Jackie says the same thing. You're right. Somehow it was okay for Nicodemus to not follow and Matthew to follow without understanding. Um, so that's a little spoiler alert. We'll see in episode eight what Nicodemus's answer is. Um, but I think, I hope, you know, we're not, we have, if those of you who've watched season two, we haven't seen Nicodemus in season two. And I hope he's not just going to show up again during the trial. Um, I really hope that he shows up again at some point. Um, but it's not an easy thing for him to grapple with. Brandy, absolutely. Uh, motherhood, right? Um, leaving a career to stay home and raise children has not made me less. Absolutely, right? If anything, look at the sacrificial gift of motherhood, but yet you don't become less of yourself, but you become more of yourself, even though you're willing to give up everything for those kids, everything for those kids. Christina, I realize I don't know a lot about Nicodemus. This episode's inspired me to look up all the passages where he appears and try to put it together. Um, I meant to grab my Bible study. They're over there in a box. And that's my, I'll have to remember to grab a Bible study. So um, I have a Bible study on, called Encountering Christ. I'm going to reference it again tomorrow. And in the Encountering Christ Bible study, I follow different characters throughout the Gospels. And I was inspired to do a whole session on Nicodemus. And this was written before The Chosen. So I'd like to think that Dallas read my Bible study, but I don't think he did. Um, we did a whole a whole chapter on Nicodemus. We don't know that much about Nicodemus in scriptures, but he does show up a few times. And one reason I focused on Nicodemus in the Bible study was I was really drawn to the fact that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea are willing to really sacrifice everything at the end, at the crucifixion. When Nicodemus, first of all, defends Christ, but then asks for his body and buries him, why would somebody do something like that when it appears all is lost? So it was hard for Nicodemus to follow Christ during his life, but when he's dead, now Nicodemus is putting everything on the line for him. And so as I prayed about Nicodemus, I wondered, does this mean Nicodemus believed in the resurrection? Because... If you didn't, if you thought this guy was dead and never to come back, why would you put everything on the line, sacrifice your safety, sacrifice your position to bury him? I mean, interestingly enough, so burying a friend, burying a relative in the Jewish faith was one of the greatest acts of charity you could do because it can't be repaid, which is interesting, right? That's something that cannot be repaid, burying the dead. So in the Jewish eyes, bearing the dead was one of the greatest acts of charity. Nicodemus does it um, after not following Christ. And now he comes out of nowhere to bury Christ. And so I began wondering, I wonder if it means Nicodemus believed in the resurrection and believed he's coming back. 
and this is the greatest act of charity I can do right now. And he's going to come back and he is the Messiah because if he was the Messiah and died on the cross, it doesn't seem to be a very good Messiah. Anyway, so encountering Christ is a Bible study um, for my patron patrons. Um, if you support me in the $40 tier, I do send both of my Bible studies to you hard copies, which again are in a box over there. Um, and I was going to show them, but I will try to remember to have a copy to show tomorrow because another chapter is the Samaritan woman, which is tomorrow's episode. Okay. Um, I realize I don't know. Okay. Um, uh, Matthew even told his mother that he did not understand the meaning of what he witnessed. So that's the next thing I want to talk about. Um, so Matthew goes to, okay, hold on. I've only watched up to this episode. Okay, Jackie. So that's okay. Um, but you know, you notice at the end of this episode, Nicodemus hasn't made his final decision. So that's interesting. Um, Christina. So you think Nicodemus must have understood Jesus's comments about his resurrection? I wonder, I don't know. Again, there's nothing that makes me know that for sure, but I guess I'm being a little Dallas Jenkins here and just kind of imagining. It just kind of came to me one time when I was doing Lexio and I kind of wondered, um, Maybe a foreshadowing. I'm standing on holy ground. Um, you should have a watch party tonight. Yes. Uh, Brandy, maybe you should send Dallas your Bible study. You know, I actually reached out to him on Twitter. I'm sure he never, or Instagram. I'm sure he never read this, but I DM'd him on Instagram. And I said, if you'd ever want a Catholic to help with anything, I want to help you. <laughs> so if he needs a Catholic advisor, he has a priest that advises him. But I was like, you know what? Like the Bible study, there's so much we could do for, um, you know, for Catholics using the chosen. So I reached out to him, but I never heard back from him. So if anybody knows Dallas, let him know. Um, okay, let's look at Matthew. So let's look at the character of Matthew. And um, so he goes back to his mom because as he says, there's some things that only moms can, you know, only questions only moms can answer. I love when he tells Quintus that. There's a reminder here that he's disowned, right? Um, notice he calls his mom Ema and then he switches it, I think. Or maybe he calls his dad Abba and then switches it and calls him Alpheus. Um, but he goes back to his mother because he needs explanations for the impossible, right? This is bothering him that he's witnessed the impossible and he doesn't, it doesn't fit in his grid, which we've, we've looked at before. He has that great quote, everything I thought I knew, what if it was wrong? Okay. So we love this. Um, you know, we, I love this depiction of Matthew of really trying to figure out in his head, what if this is all wrong? What do I do with it? Right. Um, I love his call. And um, I don't even have really have words for kind of the last three minutes of this episode. Again, I've used it in a talk. I could watch it again and again and again. Um, I love just like his honest surprise reaction. I think the actor who plays him captures that longing for acceptance, that longing for community and love. And, and he's never been wanted like this. And now here's somebody's walking by and he wants him. Um, it's such a call of discipleship. And that's why I could watch it again and again, because Christ calls all of us this way. We're all a little bit of Matthew. We have this God-shaped hole in our heart and we need it to be filled. And Jesus is passing by our booth. I love when he's like, I'm so glad we walked by your booth today. And um, notice he calls him Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Matthew doesn't, the world doesn't consider Matthew the son of Alphaeus anymore. Um, it gives me chills every time I hear him say that Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Why? Because in God's eyes, he is the son of Alphaeus. And even if Alphaeus has disowned him, he's the son of Alphaeus and he's the son of God. He's a, he's a child of God. And so 
I love that. That just gives me chills. Again, I could watch the scene again and again, and I still get chills from it. The great line of Peter, right? Do you know who this guy is? Okay, Peter. So Jesus is all powerful and all knowing until he's not to Peter, right? Do you know who this guy is? Peter cannot fit it on his grid. There's a lot of people with grids in this series that, and don't we all have our little grid and our boxes that God has to fit in, right? So Peter has his grid and this is who should be a disciple. And Jesus is saying, sorry, your grid's too small, right? Your grid's too restricted. Do you know who this guy is? And Jesus is like, yeah, I know who this guy is. And um, he says, this is different, right? He's like, you didn't understand when I called you. And Peter's like, this is different. And then there's a great tagline of the chosen, get used to different. Don't have such a small box to put God in, right? Um, And are we Peter or are we Jesus, right? Who are we in this scene? I think very, very, very often I'm Peter. My grid is about this big. And if you don't fit in what I think makes sense, then I'm moving on, right? That's not the way God works. And then Matthew leaves everything, right? And walks away. You know, Gaius says, "Are are you really willing to leave everything? Are you throwing it all away? And Matthew's like, yeah. Absolutely. I'm throwing it all away. Um, And then we have the great little comic relief after this, you know, dramatic scene where Matthew says, uh, that's going to be a problem, right? A dinner problem. That's going to be a problem. I'm not invited, right? I'm not welcome. And Jesus says, not going to be a problem tonight because you're the host. So I love that kind of, they always know where to throw in the levity um, and, and throw in the realism, right? So any other questions or comments that those last three minutes, I, I encourage you that if you've just seen it once, um, you know, just go to YouTube and just watch that scene because it's really a reminder of what Christ is doing for us every day, calling us to throw away everything and to follow him, not becoming less of ourselves, but becoming more of ourselves. And um, it's just very powerful. So any other thoughts? Christina, you had said you had a thought about Nicodemus. Maybe you have already said it. Um, or a call of Matthew. You said, when I, when we get there, I have a comment on the call of Matthew. So I just want to see if you um, have said it yet, because I'd be interested. Um, another moment that made me chuckle um, was back when Mary took Jesus. I can tell Christina's typing very quickly to try to get the comment in before we end. Um, oh, that's really powerful, Christina. So Christina says, I repeat these comments because you all can see them in the live chat, but I don't know whether you can see the live chat after. So the people who are watching after might not get your comments. Um, another moment that made me chuckle back at the beginning was when Mary took Jesus aside and said, I'm sorry about yesterday. She was, she was going to confession, right? She was apologizing. She was going to confession, but she hadn't done anything wrong. And Christina says, it reminds me of the time I've gone to confession. The priest has told me that's not a sin. Um, Yes. I think sometimes I need to tell the priest like, yes, it is a sin. Cause I thought it was wrong and I did it anyway. Um, but, um, but yeah, like there's that like flustered moment she has where she's like, I put you in danger. And um, it's really sweet that she's worried. I love the fact that she's worried. And Jesus is like, it's okay. You haven't done anything wrong. So, um, Oh, good. You made your comment about Matthew. So if there are any other comments or questions, we went a little over, but I think these last few episodes have a lot to talk about. So, um, so as always, um, oh, funny comment from Jesus. Yes. So Matthew's holding on to his, his notebook, right? He's holding on to his tablet. Um, again, a little nod to the gospel writer. So, so the idea that he's been honing his observation skills, 
he's not the best spy, right? You know, he like hides behind a tree and everyone can see him. He's not the best spy, poor Matthew, but he's great observation. He has great observation powers, which Quintus says, right? So Quintus, when he comes to Nicodemus says, um, you know, something like I have a source who has an acute accurate, is acuteness of accuracy or something. He's talking about Matthew. Um, and so we have these little hat tips to, you know, he's been observing Simon. Well, now he's really going to observe Simon and um, he's going to observe Christ and write it all down for us. Um, oh, yes. So Matthew's mom says, I'd hope you would use your talents to help your people. And there's also that that kind of allusion to it as well. When Quintus is like, your mom should be proud because you have a skill and um, you should be using it. And, and, and Matthew said, you know, she doesn't like the fact that I'm using it against God. And now Matthew's going to be using the skill and these talents to help his people, right? Matthew is the gospel that's primarily written for a Jewish audience. He is the one that's quoting the Old Testament. He's the one that's alluding to Old Testament prophecies. So Matthew really is going to help his people by introducing them to Christ. So that is really beautiful. Tomorrow, we are going to look at uh, episode eight. And one of the things I really want to delve into with episode eight is to really put into perspective who the Samaritans are. I think, again, so often with our 21st century glasses, we don't really gather the entire, we don't understand the import of some of these, of some of these um, Jewish themes and Jewish situations. So join us tomorrow when we finish season one. And it's a beautiful episode. Um, and we're going to look at the Samaritans. We're going to look at maybe a little um, aspect of the woman at the well that you didn't know or that you didn't had never thought of. There's a lot going on there. Um, and so, yeah, so it should be good. So join us tomorrow for episode eight. The link is up top along with my newsletter link, my support link, but the link's up top. Um, but always, um, if you click the latest link in Instagram, it should take you there, take you here as well. So thanks all for joining us and I will see you tomorrow. God bless.